Hey, Rockheads, it's time for NDC Oslo again, June 15th through 19th in Oslo, Norway. Richard and I will be there, of course, as well as all your favorite speakers. World-class stuff here, folks. ndc-oslo.com. We'll see you there. .NET Rocks, episode 1113, with guest Steve Evans. Recorded Friday, March 13th, 2015. And there you go. What's up, Richard? I'm doing the thing with the stuff, but, you know, nothing to complain about, really. Another .NET Rocks with Steve Evans. We haven't done that many, really. Yeah, I know. We've, we've sort of hung out with Steve more than we've done shows. Yeah, yeah. but I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, how you been, man? I have been uh, still trying to get the skunk out of the dog. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it's still going on. And I've, we've done everything. I, he's, you know, he's got a double coat, and it's just really hard to get it all out. It's going to have to wear away, I guess. Well, we're up to over 1,100 copies of Music to Code by Soul. Congratulations, dude. Yeah. That's cool. It's doing something. Something with a something. You might want to check it out, mtcb.pwop.com. All right, I got some better no framework for you. Hit me. All right, what do you got, buddy? Okay, well, uh, Paul Ballard uh, from Wintellect wrote a blog post about Visual Studio 2015 CTP6 overview. Oh, yeah. Bug features and hidden gems. And I think it was a very nicely written, concise overview. Just what it says. Tinyurl.com slash VS15 gems. Some great stuff there. And I, I know we're going to ta- be talking to Microsoft about this before too long. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, there's a new web API template that eliminates all the HTML and Razor markup that was originally part of the MVC project templates, so you can build APIs without UI or as a starting point for a single-page app. There's some uh, great stuff, uh, better support for Grunt, Bower, NPM, and Gulp. Do we call it NPM or NPM? I think NPM is fine. NPM, yep. IntelliSense support for Grunt, Gulp, Bower, and NPM configuration files has been added along with enforcement of JSON, JSON schemas. The files are now also transportable between Windows, Linux, and OS X. We're becoming a cross-platform development tool yeah, here. Yeah, you see the roadmap here, don't you? It's pretty awesome. It's really interesting. Code lens views of Git and TFS history. How about that? You know, Code Lens is great. It shows yeah. you, you know, where your references are. Uh, now it provides a quick context-aware view into the history of your code. And in this release, support has been added for Git source control and TFS work items. Very cool. Also, NuGet 3.0 beta, XAML UI Live Visual Tree, which I think I talked about before. Yep. And uh, Visual Studio Emulator for Android. It's been updated with support for Lollipop, API yep. Level 21. And lots of folks have been saying, like, that's the fastest Android emulator you can get right now. Well, of course it is. Microsoft made it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. That is funny. Did I really say that? You said that out loud. Oh, okay. How did you do that? I don't know. And, and also, I mean, we dressed a bunch of these things with Mads Christensen a while back, too. Yep. You know, all, at least the webby stuff. It's yeah, just, yeah. There's so many moving parts. And this is just a CTP. Yeah, I know. It's, it's crazy. crazy. It is crazy. We both said that at the same time. No, it's crazy talk. Crazy talk. 
All right, Richard, that's what I got. It's uh, tinyurl.com it. slash vs15gems. Who's talking to us, my friend? I uh, grabbed a comment off of show 1101, the show we did with Jez Humble. We were talking about building lean enterprises and lots of good conversation about uh, code and, and the like. Mm-hmm. And uh, Adam Wright said, I don't recall the quote or exact, not exactly sure if the transcripts are available, but as a developer, I love Jez's comment about the value or lack of value in estimation. I'm one of probably many people who have worked at companies who say they are doing agile, you know, they're doing the agile, but, uh, and always still ask for estimates and time spent on projects to be entered and updated. The fun part is they expect the actual accurate hour based estimates without actually having a full list of requirements. Of course they don't. And then all the release planning is done around that. Yeah. Uh, not to mention we work on several future releases at the same time with one offs coming in between sort of at a whim. In my experience, this is pretty typical in an IT department in my neck of the woods, and I'm just looking forward to the day when the trends and processes like Jez preaches get adopted in my... It's kind of like test retrofit development. Something like that. But, <laughs> but you know, I, I like, right now we're talking about this as DevOps, continuous deployment, so forth. Someday we're just going to talk about this as development. Yeah. Someday. And as Jez suggests, and I agree with, the problem is uh, usually old, unchanging processes that take a lot of work to modify because of the people, history, and infrastructure that is involved. Mm. Thanks for the great show and keep up the great work. And that's from Adam in Kansas City. And that's great. Good stuff. Adam, thank you so much for your comment. .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or with any of our mobile apps because we've got them for Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, iOS, and Windows 8. And that brings us to our esteemed guest, Steve Evans. He's been doing DevOps since before the term DevOps was invented. He's a plural site author, six-time Microsoft Most Valuable Professional, and technical speaker at various industry events. In his spare time, he manages a DevOps team at a Silicon Valley biotech focused on improving the lives of cancer patients. For over 15 years, Steve has focused on making technology better for businesses by bridging the gap between IT and development teams. Welcome, Steve. Thanks for having me. You like to have your foot in both sides of the of the uh, shop, don't you? Yeah, I've always gone both ways. Yeah. I wasn't going to say it, but, you know. I live in Naylor, you and Richard, California. You so. and Richard sort of swing. Are You're not Canadian by any chance, are no, you? Absolutely. That is the most offensive thing that's ever been said to me, Carl. <laughs> wow. I, thank you very much. I'm, I feel honored, actually. Five minutes in, already right in there. <laughs> so, code bases. Uh, is this something that developers should care about or is this something that uh, we as developers might get thrust into the role of having to manage a code base well so it's funny because when uh, Car- uh sorry richard reached out to me i just it's my, all right we're interchangeable <laughs> exactly uh my mind immediately went to um i just for whatever reason wasn't thinking i thought we were talking about run as and so lately in the last couple of years on my um in my my professional life um, I've been managing managing a team that is working on automating um, the deployment of environments. Um, so, mm-hmm. kind of our, you know, our the holy grail we're, we're we're reaching for is two in the morning. Developer gets an idea, they want to try something out, and they can go to our ticketing system and then they can request an environment with you know with a Salesforce instance, uh, you know, the service bus. Um, and, uh, you know, some other stack we have that's part of our enterprise. And it just, in an automated fashion, that just all gets just laid out. 
Um, you know, the VMs are stood up, um, you know, SQL's installed, IIS is installed and configured, you know, data's put in place, applications are put in place, et cetera. And, you know, that idea you had can just be turned into, you know, hey, let's try it out um, without having to wait the however long it took before this um, wow. to do that. Kind That's of thing. awesome. That's like a Visual Studio template on steroids. Yeah, um, kind of. So, um, so we have a, a PowerShell. So that we're doing all this work in PowerShell um, mm-hmm. because that's just what makes sense when you're talking about automating infrastructure um, and and the stuff that sits on infrastructure. And so we've got like last I checked, we're like somewhere around forty thousand lines of PowerShell, um, and it's an interesting conversation to have. And I've done it a couple of times with, with more of an IT audience of, you know, how on earth do you manage uh, a code base of that size when it's really not designed, you know, the language wasn't really designed for that. I, I mean, a code base of that size and complexity in C sharp in, um, in, in Java and in, in anything else is, is kind of geared towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, this is kind of this level of complexity in PowerShell. There, there's a lot of challenges we've run into. And so we've had some really interesting conversations around, okay, how do we make this work without it all crumbling in on itself? Mm-hmm. Um, and when I talk to IT people, it's interesting because, you know, often we have to go all the way back to, okay, source control. Here's why you want to use source control because today your typical IT pro doesn't, isn't familiar with source control outside of, you know, it's something developers use. Yeah. Um, and it's just kind of interesting because for a long time, I've been an IT guy who reaches over to the dev side and is familiar with how developers work and, and that kind of stuff. And for the first time and ever for me, it's the IT side of the house is starting to come over and kind of actually start to act a lot more like developers. Um, hmm. So it's, 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 it's are, interesting. Are you saying that in a good way or a bad I, way? I mean, I mean that absolutely in a good way. Um, it's, so how so? So, I, I mean, just in the case of I've got, I've got four IT, you know, people who came from an ops IT background right now spending their entire day, 100% of their job is automating infrastructure, writing code to stand up infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Writing PowerShell and the like? PowerShell, yeah. Primarily PowerShell. Um, we've got, you know, in, in the next version of PowerShell, we're going to have classes. We're going to have, you know, object-oriented classes that we can write. Um, and you can kind of do it today, but you can do it for real in the next version. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, properties and, um, you know, methods and, and, and how do you, you know, we're really acting like a software development team. Um, and it's, it's really, really interesting. And, and the whole industry is not there. I mean, there is definitely still the, you know, next, 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 um, type IT pros. And there's a lot of them and it's a problem. Um, but I'm, I, 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 at least I'm starting to see that shift. Um, on a l- really small microcosm, but it, it's starting to happen, and, it, and it's really, really exciting. So, are they going through the same issues of needing to do testing, uh, source code management, those sorts of things? We, Versioning. We, we, yeah, we have all the exact same problems. Um, so we actually, so you know, we actually have branches. We have a dev branch. We have a QA branch. We have a main branch. Wow. We have release branches. Um, you know, because you know, so we're automating the deployment of infrastructure. Well, you know, active development is happening. We have a deliverable that's due. You know, one of us goes to deliver that infrastructure and, you know, through the development process, someone broke something and all of a sudden, you know, we can't deploy something and we have a a commitment coming up. 
well, okay, how do we solve that problem? It's been kind of interesting because in some ways we've started, we're, we're kind of redeveloping the wheel and, until we find out, oh, this wheel's already been developed. And, and so then we just glom onto the, the, you know, the standard software development practice. It right. seems to me, and correct me if I'm yeah. wrong, guys, because you're more IT than I am, but uh, it seems to me that IT used to be about having a set of machines that were always up and running, and those were your environment. Yeah. And you have to keep state, and you have to keep updates and all that stuff running. And now we're talking about deploying environments like we deploy versions of apps. Cattle nut. Right? Yeah. So, the, the term that's used in the DevOps space is cattle nut kittens. So, the idea is that servers are cattle now. We just, you know, we get rid of them at will. Um, this is kind of a morbid example, uh, as opposed to <laughs> kittens that you, you know you take care of and you care about and you you know you take pictures with them and you you know you knit them so sweaters. What's the ver- vegetarian equivalent of this? I have no uh, idea. Analogy. <laughs> You'll ask someone else. <laughs> um, I think you got the wrong three people on the show here to talk about <laughs> vegetarian <laughs> options. Um, but yeah, th- it, it's been really interesting because you know I'm working. You know, it's, it's kind of IT people who've converted to more of a, you know, kind of hybrid of pseudo, you know, IT person, pseudo developer. And we're still kind of, some of us are still caught in that mindset of, oh, I've got to get it right the first time. Right. And one yeah. of the really powerful, I mean, because when, when you go back to kind of more traditional IT, it's yeah. usually what happens is you do this POC and all of a sudden the POC is being used by the executives and, you know, downtime is unacceptable, right? Like, that was, you've lost all opportunity to iterate, to improve this, to, you know, fix mistakes. And so, traditionally, and, and this, these are broad strokes, but traditionally, IT people think of, okay, I got to get it right the first time. I'm going to plan, 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 plan before I put yeah. anything out there because I know the moment I put something out there, if it's even moderately successful, all of a sudden, the business is going to be depending on it and I can't iterate anymore. Hmm. Okay. Whereas now... You know, we're, we're essentially building infrastructure and code. In fact, it's called, you know, uh, infrastructure by code and code for structure. And, uh, <laughs> so you can iterate. No, like you get something okay. wrong. <laughs> I was mid thought, Carl. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm getting old. You can't interrupt me mid thought anymore. So this is edutainment here. <laughs> the, um, I'm sorry. Please continue. <laughs> so. You know, there's this there's this propensity to like, oh, I can't I can't check this in because what if it's wrong? And I'm like, check right. it in. If it's wrong, we'll fix it. You know, we're gonna yep. we're gonna have a code review. We're gonna have we're gonna have testing against this. It's you know yeah. before it even before it ever sees production, it's gonna go through maybe twenty or thirty QA life cycles. You know, from the QA team who's actually testing the functionality of the products we're putting out as opposed to the builds we're producing. Um, and so it really changes that mindset and allows us to move a lot faster and be a lot more agile and really at the end of the day, fall in line with the way software development is happening now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think there's been a lot of, uh, anger, uh, anger is the wrong word, but a, a lot of angst between the two groups where you've got th- these very different, um, uh, philosophies, where the one side is, I, let's figure out the requirements as we go. Let's iterate. Let's you know release often and quickly. And the other side that is, you know, I build the server and it's gonna, you know, it's gonna live for five years. I got to get it right the first time. And we're finally getting to the point where, very slowly, but we're starting to see those two worlds come together. 
No, it's anger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we've been we've been playing on the IT versus dev joke for a long yeah. time, but I got to think now that everybody's writing some code, we all have a shared pain. Yeah. Um, I think shared pain, but also a, a shared, you know, shared story now. We we, right, we, yeah. we have a lot more in common than we used to. Or at least, you know, IT pros that are moving away from next, next, next. Um, and when I say next, 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 I mean, you know, just clicking through the wizards, right? Right. Is there any difference really between an on-prem solution for this kind of thing and a cloud solution when it comes right down to it? Um, so, I don't think there is. And so, we have taken the philosophy... Uh, and so when I say we, I mean, my, my team specifically has decided we are not going to care where the VM is. Um, so when we were starting up this project, my company as a whole was trying to, you know, become more cloud focused, you know, you know, get out of the business of doing things that is not our core business, you know, very, very common stuff. And I said, you know, whether the VMs are running on-prem or in, or in Amazon or in Azure, you know, the problem set of we've got these applications to deploy, we've got this data to put in place, we've got these accounts that are needed, et cetera, that story doesn't really change. Um, and so we've, we have decided we don't care. Um, in fact, we, we basically, you know, so we have these functions that deploy VMs and we basically have a provider model where we say, um, you know, are you deploying this on-prem? Are you deploying this on Azure? Are you deploying this on AWS? And then we just switch out some of the mechanics of it underneath but at the end of the day, you know, we stand up a VM, we install, you know, we, we put applications on it, um, whatever that means for that particular application, um, and, and we configure, do the configuration we need to do. To me, it doesn't really matter where the VM's living. Obviously, there's some challenges, you know, um, with, you know, if it's in, in the cloud, you might have some um, network latency that you need to consider when you're, you know, trying to pull over SQL Server install, you know, so there's, there's various considerations. But at the end of the day, it's really the same problem set. Um, the cloud solves a lot of problems. Um, mm -hmm. But when you're, you're, you're in a traditional, when I hear, a lot of the times when I hear of people using the cloud, it's, you know, we're this startup with this one web service or this, this set of web services that are loosely coupled. Um, and they, you know, we stand them up there and that's it. A lot of enterprises, you know, a lot of true enterprises, they have hundreds of applications. Um, and, and so just saying, oh, let's just move everything to cloud and that will be better is way oversimplified. And there's a lot mm -hmm. that's involved in, you know, okay, how do we take this disparate, this, these tightly coupled applications that, you know, we try to start pulling them apart. But, you know, there's, there's just a lot to do there. Um, and so, you know, the cloud solves a lot of problems, but to, one of the ways we're, we're making it so we can move to the cloud um, a lot faster, a lot easier is getting to the point where everything's configuration by code. And so then we're just changing configuration and we're not getting right. caught up on, okay, how do we recreate all this stuff in the cloud? Um, it's just, yeah, we're just going to run this, this same process with slight, a slight variance in where it happens. Well, and that's really what the power of the cloud is, is that, you know, you can just go to a dashboard somewhere and tweak a few things and stuff happens. Yeah. But keep in mind, those capabilities exist on-prem. Um, yeah. they call it private cloud. I, I argued with Microsoft a lot, a few tech heads ago yeah. about that term, because I think it's a silly term, the but cloud on your desktop. Yeah. I heard that one in a keynote <laughs> once. Well, I, I always <laughs> joke about, um, you know, calculator cloud edition, 
you know, clouds just, <laughs> let's just slap it on everything and sell. It is so overused, that term, isn't yeah. it? And people, I, I hear, and I rail against this on .NET Rocks before, but I hear people in mainstream media talking about, you talk to my cloud and I talk to your cloud, and really what they're talking about <laughs> is servers, you know? Yeah. They, they use the term server and cloud interchangeably. Yeah. It bugs me. There's this, as an industry, we have this habit of just overusing terms. We did it with cloud. Piling on. We did it with agile. Misappropriated. We're doing it now with DevOps. You know, everything yeah, I hear is yeah. DevOps. Um, the only reason I call my team a DevOps team is simply from a recruiting perspective. When we go to hire people, um, I hate the term DevOps. I just, I, I despise yeah. it because it, it, there's this implication that it's this new thing that has been invented where really it's just this progression um, yeah. of, you know, as I've heard it said, you know, DevOps is caring enough about your whole job. Um, yep. So. I, to actually get everybody to work together. What a concept. Yeah. Yeah. Is this automation that's happening for deployment giving the dev guys visibility into how long it takes to deploy software? Like, I just like the, I'm, I'm thinking about the idea of if there's a bug over there, you know, with the IT guys code, that impacts the devs as well because they can't deploy. Um, so we're, we're in fairly early phases of this. So they're just starting to see results from, from this stuff. Um, but, but the answer is yes. And in fact, I'm very purposeful in using the exact same language. So for example, like we'll put out, we'll put out a build of application X. And the application X SMEs will be like, oh, hey, you know, we've got a configuration here. We need to fix that. And I'll say, oh, okay. I, I just entered a bug and I'll even give them the bug number in TFS. And I'll, sh you know, to show them like, hey, your, your software has bugs. My software has bugs. You know, there's nothing magical about your bugs versus my bugs. You know, right. we put in a bug. It's going to get triaged. Someone's going to patch the code. It's going to get fixed. Um, and, and again. The ritual is the same. Yeah. And again, I think it really you know, helps with that, that understanding that, um, we're, we're really all the same type of people, um, with Mar you know, the, our, our differences are much less than our similarities. Right. Yeah. We, we're way closer than you care to think about actually. Right. And in the end, we're only measured by getting that app in front of the customer successfully. So nobody can succeed without the other. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I also try to avoid the terminology of, of you know, uh, oh, you know, IT, dev, devs are a customer of IT or vice versa. You know, it, it's right. a partnership. And I think as soon as you start to get into this, oh, IT is there to serve develop, development and development's there to serve the business or, or vice versa, you get into this, this, you know, this greater than, less than mentality. Yeah, you have which to do what I say. It all falls apart really quickly. Mm. I was yeah. just at an event of of and it was an event with very very high caliber people there and and i've been to many events but i would say this is one of the first ones where it's truly been both developers and it people at the same event hanging out the same places um you know tech ed is is kind of has both but but it's really more of an it show with a little bit of development and it, it seems like yeah. most most events are one or the other. And this was the first event where I really recognized like, hey, there are two different types of people here. And the thing that really shocked me was how much the two groups showed disdain for each other. You know, mm. IT people talked about devs like, you know, they were prima donnas. Um, IT people talked to, I'm sorry, devs talked about IT people like, you know, oh, they're just, they're just always screwing stuff up. They're always taking forever to get stuff done. 
Um, and I, I, I made this joke about how I felt like the divorce kid at Thanksgiving, like going back and forth between the two groups. And we were out at the bar one night and there was literally a group of devs on one side of the bar and a group of IT people on the other side of the bar. Yeah. So you're hated by everybody, basically. Well, well not because of this though. That's, it goes much, <laughs> much deeper than that. <laughs> um, but it was just really interesting. So which side of the bar did you sit on? In the middle. Well, I tried to sit in the middle for a bit. Um, and I thought like, oh, I'm going to bring people together. And everyone, yeah, just I, both groups bet, laughed at me. Um, but they don't know what to do with you, really, because, oh, wait a minute. He's one of us. Or is he? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and I'm really I'm really <laughs> not part of either group uh, fully. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've, I've kind of, you know, I've, I've kind of taken that on as a goal for the year of starting to, and, and the next night I was saying, hey, you know, you know, John meets Steve, you know. Uh, groups, people who wouldn't, you know, walk right past each other, don't normally talk to each other. And the reality is, is they get, start talking about Doctor Who or Star Trek or something and, yeah. you know, barriers break down, but. That's right. Common things. It, it, it's like, uh, you know, it's like all movements like this. You, you just got to get to know some. You just got to get to know them, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I appreciate your thinking around it. So it's a partnership. Neither one succeeds without the other anyway. It, yeah, Absolutely. You know, it's it's funny. Uh, I, I've heard you talk about like an IT guy out of work doesn't really have anything to do. It's true because IT guys can just sit around and stand up servers, but that's not very interesting. And the reality is, I, th I think one thing that's been good about devs is they've said like, well, you know, I'll just stand up a VM in the cloud. I'll I'll, I'll stand up a server by myself. They struggle at it. Um, right, find out it's hard. And that's where a lot of like, for example, my Pluralsight courses come in or, or just very, you know, basically all the public speaking I do is around, hey, developer, here's an IT topic. Why don't you, you know, learn a little bit about networking, learn a little bit about Windows Server, et cetera. Um, but at the end of the day, when if, if developers truly want to, you know, as I say, developers like to write code. Anytime you can make it so they can write code and not be, you know, troubleshooting a DNS issue, that's a win, right? And so just getting, you know, getting both sides to work together so that they both, they both do what they want to be doing, but they're doing it in such a way that they're, they're moving forward and they're not, you know, snarking at each other. Everyone wins in that scenario. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Hey, you know what time it is? It must be that happy time again. Yeah. Time to run my DevOps app that spins up a new VM every time I clap my hands. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> Round of applause for that joke. That's going to cost Come you a on. lot of money. Round of applause for that joke. Come on. Man. Come on. <laughs> wow. You've created Azure Clapper. It's <laughs> <laughs> an audience noise, you know? <laughs> oh, I can't even begin to count them. Uh, actually, it's time to give away a Music to Code by CD and uh, a free download and the documentary on Blu-ray to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, let me tell you about Music to Code by. It's uh, three 25-minute quiet and groovy instrumentals designed to get you into a state of flow and stay there. See what all the fuss is about. And I mean fuss. .NET Rocks fans are being more productive with Music to Code by. Go to mtcb.pwop.com and check it out. Awesome, dude. And it is really nice music, actually. Uh, I've listened to it. I'm still listening to it. Yeah. Who's our winner? Well, today's winner is Per Sonichsen. Ah, congratulations, Per. Oh, my God. I just spun up 20 new VMs. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait for that bill. Yeah, he, uh, Pear just won a, uh, music to code by CD download and documentary on Blu-ray. And if you don't know what we're talking about here, go to .netrocks.com, 
Click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And Steve, you know it's coming. It's your turn. What would you do with five grand? Okay. What would you buy? Do you remember my answer the last time? Wow. My answer last time was I wanted the cash. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how am i not surprised okay so i i, I so i hate driving i, I think driving yeah. is just an utter waste of of, of human energy and okay. so i would have normally i, I would lean towards five thousand dollars donated to whoever's working on a self-driving car but does google really need your five thousand dollars it, really it's the it's like think of it a kickstarter you, you get something back for it well, you mean if you could put a down payment on one, now, that's a, <laughs> another thing altogether. But I've been thinking that's not forward thinking enough. It's re- yeah. self-driving cars is a stopgap. We need the transporters from Star Trek. <laughs> yes. So five thousand dollars to whoever you know is working on transportation technology, transporters, whatever you would call it, human digitizers. Yes. Otherwise, so that I'd, would be a H to D converter and a D to H converter on the other sim. Uh, so that would be a a dough head. Nice. Sure. <laughs> so that's what I want with my five thousand bucks. Couldn't you just spend your money on Uber and yeah. work in the car? You could or buy a plane. You could, but you're still. I mean, if we could just eliminate cars and roads from society, think about all the, how much better life would be. Richard, let me go back to show sixty nine where you were the first guest. Um, Paul Moeller, the guy who makes flying cars. What's the latest with that? Is are we going to have a flying car anytime soon? Uh, it doesn't look like it. Not for Paul Moeller. I don't think he's actually in prison at the moment. <laughs> uh, but he's, the threat's going on fairly often, actually. Huh. So this is the guy that built a flying car, but he could never get an F- FAA license to uh, untether it. Now, there's more to it than that, it, it is, and it's not stable enough, and the engine isn't lasting long enough. Like, hey, let's face it, it's a hard problem. It is. But, you know, one thing Moeller made very clear, and we said this in show 900, we we're talking about automated driving, mm. until you have fully automated driving, you will not have flying cars, because yeah. there's no way we want humans flying flying cars. Yeah, you're right about that. Yeah. Automated flying cars. There you go, Steve. Yeah, will so that do it for back you? Back to what I want. I want transporters. <laughs> No, we're closed. (laughs) We're closed. I mean, just stuff like, you know, oh, hey, let's meet for lunch. Okay, let's go meet for lunch in Paris, you know. Let's go to Paris. Um, You know, it it would just, it would would change the world. That's what I want. Make it happen. Human to digital converter. Here's a nuclear bomb. Now it's in Paris. (laughs) (laughs) You're such a glass half empty kind of guy, Richard. Yeah, anytime you want to know about how evil some plan could be, you know, some technology could be, just talk to Richard. And especially buy him a scotch first and then ask, how evil could you get with this? And then just sit back and listen to the conversation you'll uh, of a lifetime. I, re- I remember sitting in a bar one time and we were trying to stump Richard with some topic that he couldn't pontificate on. That's right. And we asked him what, uh, you know, who invented Sports. the glass? Oh, that's right. Yeah. I remember that. And then he went oh, on yeah. for like 20 minutes. And you went on for, yeah, you went on for 25 minutes. Somebody came out, he'll never, he'll never know, you right. know who invented the glass. Yep. And you went on with a uh, dissertation. It happens. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever forget anything? Uh, I try to. <laughs> 
especially trying the last to forget five this conversation this right now. <laughs> he's trying to forget that he's a host of Dunya Rocks. <laughs> All right. You know, uh, having just recently been at Microsoft, I was having this conversation, and and the idea that, and you've seen this at TechEd, that you know, dev and operations folks or IT folks are separate. It's, it's it's getting more and more ridiculous. Everybody's coding. Yeah, everyone should be coding. So, Let's be clear. I mean, yeah. Well, I also think there's this aspect of so if you're actually trying to categorize someone, it's more like, are you responsible for operational systems? Do you write code? And they're checkboxes, not radio yeah. buttons. Yeah, that's that's where we want to get to. Now, the IT community has a ton of work to do around really. You know, people are going to have to start changing. And the reality is, just like there are still Cobell programmers, 30 years yep. from now, there will still be people whose job it is to click, click, click. Um, yep. Mm. There's still people who like spinning screwdrivers and racking servers. Right, mm-hmm. right. And, and the reality is... Do you is, know anybody like that, Richard? I, 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 I like spinning a screwdriver. There's no two ways about it. I just don't want to do it for operational systems. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I mean, we'll always have those people, but... You know, their ability to find jobs is going to get harder and harder and harder to come upon. Right. You know, it'd be it'd be like a classic ASP developer. Yeah, you there's still classic ASP shops, but you know, your opportunities start to dwindle. Um, and, and so, you know, we're spending a lot of time on the IT side, convincing you know people who who grew up in the you know the the Microsoft story of we'll give you a GUI and you don't have to touch the command line. You know, we're spending a lot of energy convincing them that it's time to change. Um, but in the meantime, there's a lot of great opportunities. I, I mean, so I work in Silicon Valley. Um, unemployment is effectively 0% as is. But if you have if you have the skill set of, you know, doing configuration by code on the infrastructure side, you are, you are a unicorn with two rainbows. Uh, you know, you, you are invaluable. Um, to organizations, hmm. you you could get a job. You could get, you know, your company could go out of business at lunchtime, and you would have a job by, you know, happy hour, no problem. Um, so huge opportunities out there. So should we talk about managing code bases? We we probably should talk about something real at some point. <laughs> so here here's the here's the story I'm telling people is, and, and remember this is really often for more of an IT audience. So this is. I think it'll be interesting for more for developers of just the, the how it resonates. Um, mm-hmm. But forty thousand lines of of a non compiled language is really hard to manage. Um, yeah, and and at the end of the day, that's what it boils down to the the fact that in Visual Studio I can't hit Control Shift B and it says, "Hey dummy, you mistyped that variable name," or yeah. or whatever um, it is really really painful. Um, and so we do a ton of work around readability of code. Um, at the end of the day, the only thing I care about in code, well, okay, not only thing, but, but almost the number one priority right behind does it work is can I read it? Because we're going to read this code 30 or 40 times for the one time it got written. Um, and even more so because it's a non-compiled language. Um, you know, if, if we rename a function, uh, in C sharp, Visual Studio will effectively do that for us and, and fix up all the references to it. And if we miss one, we, we catch it at compile time. The way I catch that, you know, a rename function, uh, you know, we, we missed a reference to it somewhere is when we're trying to deploy something, uh, you know, 
possibly three hours down a deployment line and you know we throw an error because you know we, we have a bug and, and so it's, it's just super super painful and, and so readability 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 and hopefully i'm preaching to the choir um for devs but but it's especially on the it side it, it's it's really it's probably the thing i i emphasize the most so when you talk about forty thousand lines, you're talking about forty thousand lines of PowerShell. Yeah, in one script, no, or is that lots no. of scripts? So, Please tell me it's lots of scripts. So we, our history lesson is we started off using a tool called System Center Orchestrator, which we won't even get into because it's a moot point. It's it's a dead product. Um, oh, but we got to about ten thousand lines with just a single in a single file, and obviously that was becoming unmanageable. The team was growing. Um, it just wasn't doable. We, we set up, um, you know, having, having spent a lot of time at code camps, at developer conferences, et cetera, has helped a lot. We, we set up a, a layer. So we have, um, we, first we have the library. And the library, rule of thumb is, we should be able to take that library to any other company in the world and it's still applicable. I mean, so this is stuff like install SQL Server. There's really nothing company-specific about how we install SQL Server, how we add a drive and format a drive um, to a VM, how we um, um, blanking, create Active Directory accounts, all that kind of stuff. Just super basic stuff. Just basically wrapping mm -hmm. up functionality and make it easier to leverage later. Next layer up we call automation. And automation is... You know, so we think of things in stacks. Here is the service bus stack. Here is our lab stack. Here is our um, ordering stack. Um, and so automations will consist of a set of, so we have in, in PowerShell, you have modules, which would be very similar to a class in C-sharp. And then inside of a module, you have functions, which would be very similar to a function in C-sharp. That, that one's easy to right. remember. And so, you know, we'll have a set of functions. The first function would be, you know, you know, deploy uh, service bus app VM, deploy service bus SQL VM, deploy service bus whatever VM. And so it will go through, you know, deploy the VM, um, do the basic configuration. Then it's, okay, now install this application to the next function. And so it's just this, you know, kind of hierarchy of, of, you know, think of the library as the minutia detail in the Word document. So if we take this back to the Word document theory of, okay, right. here's step-by-step. The library is going to be those detailed tasks. In fact, the tasks that often you wouldn't even have to specify how to do them. It would just be like create an account with this name. Then you get up into automation and that's kind of the chapters. Those are the, okay, now we're going to stand up the VM. Now we're going to install SQL Server. Now we're going to, um, that's a bad example. Now we're going to install um, this piece of the application. Now we're going to configure that piece of the application, et cetera. And then finally, the last layer we have, we refer to as orchestration. So that's at the very top. And we just say new service bus, you know, new lab stack, et cetera. And mm -hmm. that's taking a collection of automations together. And ultimately, that's going to be our customer facing. It's going to almost be like our API. These are the, th the right. entry points into this automation platform. Um, so, you know, we, we have our individual modules. The files may be anywhere between, you know, a single function of 30 lines, let's say, to, you know, a couple thousand lines at most. The same you'd see Dang. in any C-sharp, you know, standard enterprise C-sharp app um, on the other side of the house. Because, yeah, 40,000 lines in a single file would, would cause lots of chaos. Wouldn't be good. Yeah. Mer That's the merging good. alone would be a painful. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs>
But do you keep it in TFS? Like, yep. do you, is it all the same process? It, it is surprisingly the same. So, yeah. One, one of the challenges we have is from an IDE perspective. Um, so, most of us are using Visual Studio now on the team. Visual Studio yep. can't, you know, so with some specific plugins, there's a PowerShell plugin. Um, you can do some basic TF, I'm sorry, PowerShell coding. Um, mm-hmm. The execution's not super straightforward. It, it, it's not the best tool for the job. Um, I really hope that so far Microsoft has said they don't have an interest in making PowerShell a first class citizen in, in Visual Studio because PowerShell is for, for IT pros. Visual Studios for developers. I, I think oh, that so I think that has to that, end, um, and yeah, I think does it that will. mean we're going to have a PowerShell development environment? So we we do. That's just for IT people. So there's so to um, for several versions now. There's been what's what they call the PowerShell ISE, the Integrated Scripting Environment, as opposed to Integrated Development Environment. Um, so it comes with yeah. it's free. It comes you know out of the box, um, and it's it's okay. Um, it uses spaces instead of tabs, so that's kind of funky. Um, mm. And there's some add-ons to it, and, and it does what it does. There's a lot of great third parties um, um, options available, some free, some not. Um, you know, we we use Sapiens PowerShell Studio, which is you know, it's as close as you get to Visual Studio um, in in PowerShell. Um, you mm. know, considering Visual Studio the, the holy grail. Um, but I do most of my work in, in Visual Studio because it has the TFS integration. Yeah. Um, if PowerShell right. Studio had TFS integration, we'd be off to the races with that. Um, because we're doing check-ins, we're doing builds, um, we're doing, and so let me clarify, when I say builds, all we're doing is a build looks at all the various module files, puts them in a folder structure that's the right way so that you can put it in your modules folder on your machine. Um, okay. We just store it slightly differently in source than how it actually needs to be on the machine, just just from a sanity perspective. Um, if I had a whiteboard, I could show you guys. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, this sort of speaks to me of the Microsoft has not internalized the DevOps movement, and you see it in their products. Um, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I, I would argue that part of that problem is so. I, I'm part of a round table with, you know, various people all around the industry. And, and the, the focus of the round table is DevOps. And so these are supposed to be people who understand DevOps, who, you know, we, we are trying to practice the DevOps philosophy um, in our companies. And we spend a lot of our time arguing about what DevOps is. And, <laughs> and so, yeah, you're right. I think Microsoft is behind the, the eight ball a bit. I, I mean, they're definitely, their trajectory is great right now. I mean, they're definitely moving in the right direction. I'm really stuck on why Microsoft would have two different environments. I mean, I guess I can see, uh, I guess I can see the point, but it, it's more so, of a place of fear than anything else, isn't it? So think about... Like, we, we don't want them messing around with that developer stuff. And I, 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 think, I, I think it's a reasonable... So the ISE exists on on the servers. Even I I, I, right. I think it's semi reasonable to have the ISE. I would have preferred that they took an approach of well, let's take kind of like how I can't think of the name of it, but the free edition of Visual Studio where it's like Visual Studio for C sharp and C sharp only. 
Um, yeah, Express. Express, thank you. I would have loved to see them say, okay, we're going to do Visual Studio Express for PowerShell. Right. And, and some of the kind of pain points I, that they're having, in the, that at least I have in the ISC, I think would have been solved if they would have started from that code base. My assumption is they, they stole a bunch of code from Visual Studio and kind of forked off their own code base. Um, I, I, to be fair to Microsoft, I think if they would have come out and said, okay, we've got PowerShell, go install Visual Studio, they would have alienated way too much of their audience, of their target audience right. there. But I also see the path here. You know, you, you say you don't start at Visual Studio. No. You start writing a few scripts by hand. Maybe yes. you use the ISC. But as you become more dependent on these scripts and you need testing and you need debugging and you need source control, like all these things exist in Studio. There's got to be a point yeah. where you're like, I want Studio. I I, com- I completely agree. And, and I hope they fix this. And I know there's a lot of people, you know, they're being very loud about that. Um, and I think yeah. ultimately it's going to come. Um but but yeah, the, the, one of the really cool things about PowerShell is it starts off with a one-liner, like you know, one line in a command prompt, and and so it, the right. learning curve is very small to get started. Now, on the opposite end of the dial is a team trying to use it to do everything, and they're you know have tens of thousands of lines of code sitting in TFS with multiple branches and testers and you know builds. But the great thing is you can start with the one line and you can work your way up. And you can build monster lines with piping. Like you can, it's almost a game of writing the the PowerShell line of doom. Yeah. You, if you ever saw my PowerShell, you would know that I have a C-sharp background. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't pipe. I actually put semicolons at the end of lines. Uh, <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> you can tell. You like, know, that sort of begs the question. Mm-hmm. Thinking two weeks ago to um, to Glenn Block, what about script CS? I don't know. You should ask him. I I I, I am <laughs> familiar with script CS. I'm not super um, script CS. Tell me what script CS is real quick. Give me the quick version. Well, it's just the idea of using C sharp as your scripting yeah, okay. language. Um, I think one of the challenges you would have with script CS is. So PowerShell has a lot of what they call commandlets, which is basically, think yes. of them as functions that you get in the .NET library. So there, there's a commandlet, for example, of new SMB share, which means new Windows file share. C, you yep. can do that in C Sharp, but it's really painful. Like, you know, you're, you're, yeah. it's, it's just not pretty code. Um, whereas in PowerShell, it's new dash SMB share, dash name, name of share, you know, a few other parameters, and you've got an SMB share. Um, you know, by contrast, writing a web service API in PowerShell, well, you can technically do it, but it'd be really painful. So I, I think you, I think with script CS, you can do some really cool things. I'm not so sure it works well to say, I'm going to manage infrastructure. Um, I could right. be wrong because I've never actually, to be honest, I've never actually looked at it, um, hands on, but, but that would be my assumption. Well, the question is, would IT pros, you know, folks responsible for operations, be happier writing in C sharp. And, and I don't know that's true. You are, but you're an odd duck. I am a very odd duck. And we've, we've covered that. Thanks for pointing it out again. Um, <laughs> nice. I, I think we're all in a bit well, of an odd duck camp. <laughs> yeah. Well, and to that token, you can execute C sharp code from PowerShell. Yeah. And, and we do that. And sometimes as little workarounds in various places, um, you can, it, it's definitely, 
something that's considered not ideal. It's considered, you know, half, it's just, it's considered cheating almost. Like you shouldn't have to do that. Ideally, PowerShell right. should not require you to do that. Um, but there are times. And like I said, in PowerShell v5, they're going to have classes. Classes are going to be first class yeah. citizens. They're not going to have inheritance yet and stuff, but they're going to start having classes. Uh, and so you're going to see this line start to blur more and more and more. Uh, yeah. And you just wonder if we're going the right way. And if, if are you recreating the wheel here? Why are we doing this? Well, so in a way, PowerShell didn't recreate the wheel. It built something on top of the existing wheel, which was .NET and C Sharp. Um, right. And they just, you know, they had to make some changes. Yeah, for example, um, the equals operator in PowerShell's dash EQ, they couldn't use the equal sign because that means something on the command line already. Um, right. So they had some challenges there. So talking about these worlds merging closer and closer together. So today we're writing scripts that basically go to a point in time, let's go do something to this machine. The future is, have you guys had anyone on talking about either like PowerShell DSC or, or Chef or Puppet? Yeah, we talk about Chef and Puppet every once in a while. Okay. So at a high level, the way that Chef works is you write, you know, you basically write what they call a recipe or a cookbook. Uh, a cookbook is a collection of recipes. And basically what it's doing is saying, you should look like this. So you'll have this configuration that says, okay, you should have these IIS features installed. You should have these websites and app pools that exist. You should have, um, these services should be in a running state. These services should be in a stop state. These firewall rules should exist, um, et cetera. And you simply give this recipe. Um, what you do is you can you bring up a server and you tell it, hey, go to your chef server and get your configuration. So it will get it and then it will make itself look like this. So you'll have a configuration that says, okay, um, you know, IIS should be installed, so it installs IIS if IIS is not installed. Next time it comes along, it says, well, IIS is already installed. I'm already matched my recipe, so I'm not going to do anything. Then your next one would say, okay, you should have app pools configured like this. And it will say, okay, if um, this recipe is already in a healthy state, then execute this recipe. Um, and so you you just have this, this um, configuration, and it just makes itself look like that. PowerShell's got something very similar that's pseudo-released now. The next version should be much better, called PowerShell DSC, Desired State Configuration. Hmm. The long-term vision here is you basically modify your configurations in source control, and you, you know, they work their way through the, the life cycle. So you, know, you check in your change to the dev branch. Those eventually get merged in the QA branch, and then all your QA servers start pulling up these new configurations and, and modify themselves to look like it. Well, at that point, when the dev says, "Oh, hey, I, you know, I'm adding this new thing. I need this, um, you know, I need App Fabric installed," as opposed to going back and saying, "Hey, we've got this problem. I need App Fabric installed," he can just go into source control and type in, type up the configuration change, and then voila, it just happens. Hmm. Um, and then I, that's once we really get in, in the Windows world, really get to that point. I think that's when we really start to see the two worlds come together. I hope. You know, and it's it's interesting when you look at these tools like Chef, where the scripting language for Chef is Ruby. Yeah, you're you're back to uh, you may be an operations guy, but you need to do some programming. Yeah, I don't think if if you have an IT or operations background and you can't write any level of code, you've it's 
it's time to stop and, and fix that. <laughs> well, it's something you need to work yeah. on. It, and it, and I don't want to say it's not that hard. It's just a way of thinking. And, you, and you're not going to do it all the time, but you have to do some. Yeah. Yeah. Um, y- you know, probably the most valuable thing I ever did was take, you know, Computer Science 101. And just right. just learn, like, just unlock the power of the computer. You know, when I was in high school, I, I got, like, a, a C++ book from the library. And just, it didn't click for whatever reason, right? And yep. then a few years later, I was in college. I took a CS class. Um, and it, it unlocked it. And it's it's really just enabled me to do so much more. You know, starting with the, I needed to migrate 1,200 users from one system to another overnight. Well, it was a lot more fun writing the script to do that as opposed to the script in C sharp, by the way, because PowerShell didn't exist. Mm, Then it was to, you know, manually, you know, click 1200 times. Um, Yes. Click, 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 click. Five clicks per person. And now it's so much easier to to get involved in this space. Um, And and IT people just need to, to jump on board. It was easy for me to, well, I say easy, but uh, it was, but it was timely to move all of our uh, MP3 files off of our private server and onto Amazon. And I think I did that in Australia, didn't I, Richard? Yeah, you were in Australia when we did that. But I was all using the Amazon tools and command line tools that I had written to to move them over. But yeah, that it, so going the other way is is for a developer you know, doing stuff, moving files around, deploying stuff, calling APIs and stuff. That's, that's not a, not a big deal, but do you think that more developers need to learn PowerShell or are we good with C sharp? Yeah. So I'm finding more and more developers end up using PowerShell for some things. Um, I see PowerShell involved in a lot of build scripts or deployment scripts that developers wrote themselves or in mm-hmm. collaboration with someone. Um, the reality is, is that learning PowerShell would take you an afternoon at most. Um, it's it's pretty it's pretty comfortable moving from C sharp to PowerShell. Um, mm-hmm. There's some quirks, you know. Like I said, uh, it's not equals equals. It's dash eq for equals um, things like that. But, but what do we get for as oh, okay. a C sharp developer? Question. What do we gain? Well, what you get is the ability to um, execute. Inf, you know stuff against infrastructure so a really good example would be a build script so let's let's just say in your build you want to grab these files put them in this location you know delete these temp files um, modify this config file so you can absolutely positively do that in c sharp it's a little more painful though you know the the um you know dealing with with files isn't always it's just not as straightforward um, in c sharp think about what it takes to copy um, a dozen files from one location to another in C sharp versus on the DOS prompt. Well, heck, how about just delete all the files in a directory and all its subdirectories? That's a yeah. I mean, it's it's not. I mean, it's it's not rocket science. A million times, but it's not rocket yeah, science. Not rocket but it takes science, a little work. You do right? have to right. It's not super comfortable. Um, right. PowerShell is just much more comfortable that that kind of stuff. The other thing I, you start to see is, let's say you want to manage, you know, you want to configure IIS. Well, the commandlets in IIS to, for IIS to manage, you know, create this website, make this configuration change, enables Windows auth, whatever the case may be, it is pretty straightforward. You're going to find a lot of examples on the web. You can do all the exact same stuff in C sharp. You, you, you know, you do a Google search for, 
you know, manage IIS with C Sharp, you're not going to get a lot back. You do a Google search for manage, um, manage IIS with PowerShell, and you're going to get pages and pages and pages. Um, and so I think it just comes down to, you know, what's the, what's the right tool for the job? Um, and I think you're going to find a lot of times PowerShell is the right tool for the job, and the learning curve for the dev is pretty low. And, and so it just becomes like, a, oh, this is this is really comfortable thing to do. Um, and, and then you get into like middleware stuff. So if you're managing BizTalk, for example, knowing PowerShell, PowerShell is really helpful. Um, a lot of stuff you can, you know, you can do from the GUI. Um, there's kind of the more programmatic side of BizTalk that you, you know, you write code for. But then there's that kind of administrative piece in them, you know, that, that you can use in PowerShell and not get caught up on you know, have to pull up this really heavy GUI and, and go through all that kind of rigmarole. Right. Yep. But I, I think the big thing that a lot of people just aren't aware of is like when you talk about IIS and Exchange and some other products, they're all commanded with PowerShell. Their GUIs write PowerShell yeah. under the hood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're, you literally are using the same set of commands. It's the best set of APIs to controlling those tools. I, I think a really good analogy is SQL. So in SQL, you can, you can open up SQL Server Management Studio. You can go, you know, go into tables and, and visually edit, you know, contents of tables or, or the actual schemas of tables, et cetera. But yes. if you really want to be, you know, efficient and powerful and, and get, you know, the most for your money, you're going to write in T-SQL. It's the yep. exact same concept of, um, yep. you know, it's just the right tool for the job. Totally agree. Steve, what's on your to-do list? Um, I mean, other than just catching up from daylight savings time, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm taking it kind of easy right now. Um, my next, I don't have anything scheduled from a speaking perspective, anything like that. I'm, I'm going to be working on a, uh, another Pluralsight course pretty soon. Um, but I've, I've just been kind of laying low for right now. Okay. Well, enjoy it. I, I am. And by the way, thanks for uh, joining us. Anytime. Yeah. It's been great talking to you. It always is. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.